So I'm reading today from Ephesians 5, 15 to 33. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holiness, holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we hear your words today, give us eyes to see, ears to listen, and a heart that's open to learn what you want us to. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. Who picked that scripture for today? <laughs> Now, we acknowledge that there are some hard passages in the Bible, and at North River, we don't ignore them. We choose to work through them for some clarity, for understanding, so that we can follow God faithfully. That's our goal here this morning together. In the video that we watched a few moments ago, Tommy and Eddie illustrated how words matter in relationships. Words can be encouraging and uplifting when we've had a bad day. Words can be hurtful and demeaning when we lash out at someone. Sometimes words can leave us confused and wondering as we think, what do they mean by that? After all, it's not what we say that often gets communicated. It's how we say it that rings volumes, right? Words say a lot. <clears throat> but words can also be complicated when we either misunderstand or we misinterpret the original intent. Think about that scripture for today as an example. 
What do words like love and submission and headship really mean? Did God intend that men are to love and women are to submit in marriage? Does submit mean that women must forfeit their own ideas and and opinions to take on the opinions and ideas of their spouse? And what, what happens when a spouse who doesn't submit or love or the other spouse confuses a word like headship with power? See, misinterpretation of the intent of words can lead to confusion and it has the potential to adversely shape our relationship. It can even create hang-ups or even a misguided view about God. Some may think, well, if my spouse who claims to love God demands submission, then what must be, that must be what God is like and how he acts. Misunderstanding of these words can have an impact on society where people choose to wait to get married or even not get married at all because they view marriage as barbaric. They might think, I don't want to be tied down like that, or certainly don't want to tie someone else down in marriage. Where marriage was originally intended and created to be good and helpful and mutual can be perceived as limiting, domineering, even archaic through a distorted lens. So what did the Apostle Paul intend to communicate when he wrote these words to the church in Ephesus? What do we need to know to understand God's will for relationships and marriage? And what does God want to say to us this morning? First, we need to to understand the overall purpose of why Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. Essentially, it's a letter instructing us how we are to live for God. The beginning of of the verses in chapter 5 of Ephesians highlights Paul's purpose. Here's what Paul wrote. He said, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul starts off by saying that we're dearly loved, that we're to live a life of love towards others, just as Christ has loved us. The love that Paul is referencing here is a sacrificial love that all Christians have received from God first. And they're now called to live that out to others in response. We've been talking about this throughout the summer in our our Summer of Love series. So here, Paul's instructing his readers what living for God looks like in practical ways. What does living for God look like? Well, we'll look at three things that our scripture points to this morning. The first is that we need to seek to understand God's will. In verses 15 to 21, Paul listed six examples of how we live for God. I'll outline them here really quickly. He says, do not get drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with songs. In other words, and i got to be clear about this, because I think someone might take this literally and start singing a song to each other. Hello, Jamie. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, no. (laughs) 
Song, singing of song means to be encouraging, to lift one another up, encourage. Meaning being life-giving. It means to sing to, and, and give thanks to God. Last week I sat out of my fire pit and I was sitting there alone and just kind of reflecting a little bit, thinking about all the things that God has given and provided and looking at kind of an inventory of my life and just saying, God, thanks for what you've done in my life and what you're doing. Then he finally says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Living for God is a conscious decision and this list is fruit or, or the results that will develop in us as we follow God's will. When we understand that we're dearly loved, there's a change in our understanding about God. But there's also a change in our heart. And this heart change is described as an enlightening and an awakening of our soul, where God's spirit takes up residence in our heart, in our heart, and he becomes our leader and guide in life. So the desire to know God and to follow God's leading and trust him with our life is evidence of that awakening. And as God's spirit fills us, what begins to happen? Well, the Bible shows that we trade our sorrows and our, and our grief for joy. We surrender our fear for faith. We turn, God turns our mourning into dancing. And the darkness of our sinful way now becomes an illuminated, an, an illuminated, lighted path. From greed to gratitude, from defiance to submission, we submit our life to God as we seek to understand God's will. We experience God's love in a powerful and transforming way. This is what life with God looks like as we start to walk with him. But it's not only a life with God. God calls us to live life with others. See, in God's community, life with others is essential because life with other believers teaches us how to be like Jesus. There are two codes in the New Testament that teaches about life with others, love and submission. Now, I'll get to love in a few minutes, but I want right now I want to focus on the word submission. Look again at verse 21 here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I understand there are some misconceptions about submission. Some are highly offended by the concept of submission thinking that submit means to come to give up our control, to give up our freedom, to be dominated by someone. Or some even see submission as a, as a sign of weakness. This may be the result of maybe a past relationship in our life. But often it is more of an attitude that we've developed where we choose to be our own boss. We live in a culture that says, no one tells me what to do. We choose to do life on our own. 
without God and without others. But that's not what Paul meant by submission. The word submit in the original language means to come underneath. It is used in submitting to God's word, his instruction. Of all things, under the feet of Jesus, meaning Jesus is supreme and everything is, he's above all and we're, be, we're below, underneath him. Or to younger men being subject to the older men in 1 Peter 5, 5, where, he talk, where, where Peter talks about showing honor and respect. We submit to God and his will because we are chosen holy and dearly loved. God modeled this idea of submission by giving us Jesus. What did Jesus do? He, he gave up his status in heaven. He, he, come, he came down to earth to be with us. He took the payment for our sin by dying on the cross. He descended into hell. And three, day to, three days later, he rose from the dead. Jesus submitted his status, his will, his life to God. He came under us in love in order that we can be raised up through God, through new life in Jesus. So if we are holy and dearly loved and chosen, we have nothing to fear coming under God's leadership knowing that God has his best for us in mind. So we are submitting to God and his leading, but his leading calls for us to submit to each other. Submission is self-giving love. It's humility. It's a willingness to die to self for the sake of one another. In Christ, the playing field is leveled. Everyone is equal. No one is better, more important, or has any more power than the other. God's will is that we submit to one another. We come under each other out of reverence of Christ. In other words, submission is not the responsibility of one person. Submission is mutual. Leonard Bernstein, who is a celebrated orchestra conductor, was once, was once asked, what is the hardest instrument to play? And without a moment's hesitation, he replied, the second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or, or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. This is the essence of mutual submission. The goal is no longer who's first or who's best or whose way is right or who is more influential or who gets their way. The goal becomes harmony, unity, togetherness. It's a team. It's one. Football season is starting up in a couple weeks and I can't wait. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl this year? It will not be the team that has the best talent or who spends the most money 
or who has the smartest coach. It's going to be the team whose players, coaches, and staff have who've surrendered their own egos, desires, and attitudes and submit to each other for the aligned goal of winning together the most. That will be the team that wins the Super Bowl this year. Watch it over the next 18 weeks. The church is like the orchestra playing harmonious music together or, or the football team seeking to win Super Bowls. The key metric for Christian relationships is not the one who leads and follows. It is a mutual submission to one another to ensure close community, unity, focusing on the mission of the church to be the light of the world. It is the bride of Christ. It's a community that's so attractive that everyone wants to be a part of it. And yet people would weep if it ever went away. That's what happens when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we don't understand that concept first, we won't get the rest of this, of this passage this morning. So seek to understand God's will. The second thing we learn from this passage is that we need to practice mutual love and submission in marriage. Where the church is a corporate community, marriage is a family community. And one of the problems with this text is the way the Bible translations break up the text today. What we typically see is an end of one section in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But then it begins a new section beginning in verse 22. And it usually says underneath, on, uh, above it, rules for Christian living. And it begins with, wives, submit to, one, submit to your husbands. In the original Greek manuscript, verse 22 does not include the verb submit. It was assumed and a supplied from verse 21. In the Greek manuscript, it would read something more like this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. See the difference? So submission was in the context of verse 21, where mutual submission is clear. Not the sole role or submission of wives to husbands in verse 22. Verse 22 and forward provides an example of mutual submission not a specific directive for wives. That same concept applies in verse 24. In the Greek manuscript, it reads, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to their husbands in everything. The verb submit is missing, but some English manuscripts make the, uh, include the verb to make the sentence smoother. But again, Paul's intent here was to be an example of mutual submission to one another, not just a role for the wife. Hang on to that thought for a minute, because there's another word that's created conf confusion. The word head in verse 23. 
The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now the definition for head has been interpreted, interpreted in some Christian circles as a presupposed authority or, or superior rank or, or leader. Now if that was actually accurate, it would certainly justify the instruction for women to submit to that headship. But Paul's not establishing authority between husbands and wives in this verse. Jesus is our authority. A better way to understand the concept of headship in the context of marriage is responsibility. Headship was a duty for the benefit of the wife, not an authoritative role for the wife to surrender to. Let me give a couple examples of what, what I mean, just to kind of illustrate it to make a little bit more sense. My daughter, my youngest daughter, Peyton, we call her P, has been dating someone for about a year now. His name's Gabe. He's a good kid. We got along. We get along. Our family likes him. I like him. When he first came over, he passed my beer test, which was pretty sweet. Anyone you know what the beer test is? No, it's not seeing how many beers he can hold down. That's not the beer test. The beer test is when you get him nice and comfortable, introducing himself and having him, you know, kind of get a little comfortable. You just kind of reach over and say, hey, man, can I get you something? You want a beer? And if he says yes, he don't last. He goes. <laughs> He's out the door. <laughs> Gabe passed the beer test. <laughs> Back in the early spring was uh, Peyton's junior prom, and Gabe took Peyton to the prom. Now, in that taking Gabe to the prom, I gave Gabe two rules for that night. Now, you might be thinking, well, two, that's pretty, uh, pretty lenient. But Jamie had 99, so I figured I would help him with two. <laughs> <laughs> the first one was I said, Gabe, you're responsible. You see, for 17 years, I and I alone have been the one who's been responsible for my daughter for her happiness, for her well-being, for her care, for her protection, and for her provision. And for the first time, I'm giving that responsibility to someone, and that's going to be you. And I said, don't screw that up. <laughs> because if, I, if she comes back crying or unhappy or if something happens to her, <laughs> I'm going to shank you. <laughs> <laughs> Want to know what the second rule was? <laughs> I told him that whatever he did to her, tried to do to her that night at the prom, I would do to him in the morning. <laughs> we just had established, we had to make an established understanding. And Gabe did well. He did great. He, Peyton had a blast. Loved night. One of the most special nights of her life. And you know what? I attribute, that, I attribute that to Gabe. Because he was responsible. He's the one that took care of her. When I got... Uh, when I asked Jamie to marry me, uh, when I was going to ask Jamie to marry me, I uh, met with Jamie's father, Ron. Man, that was an intimidating day. <laughs> this guy's five foot nothing, hundred and nothing, and I was shaking in my boots the whole time talking to him. So much so that when I finally got it out where I said, I want to marry your daughter, uh, you know, he said, all right, let's take a bite of our food and relax and enjoy the rest of our conversation. <laughs> I'm like, easy for you to say. <laughs> But when, I, when I, Jamie and I were getting married, 
Ron was responsible for his daughter. And he transferred that responsibility. He gave that responsibility over to me. That's what head looks like in marriage. It's not one over the other telling the other one what to do. It's the one taking responsibility in order to care and provide and support. See, God has placed the responsibility of providing and caring and supporting and encouraging and loving on the husband. In the ancient world, the requirement of husbands was to provide food and shelter for his wife. That was pretty much about it. And the husband was essentially free to do whatever he pleased. As head, in love and submission to his wife, Paul here is raising the standards of the husband to include the well-being of his wife first and to give himself to caring for her. Now here's where this concept becomes most interesting and becomes most clear. Look at verse 25 again. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To love is to serve, to give up one's position, to sacrifice. It's denying self to the benefit of someone else. You know what? That sure sounds a lot like submission, doesn't it? And if submission means to come under, to give up one's position for someone else, and, and if love is to serve and to sacrifice, aren't we talking about the same thing? See, in Paul's theology, love and submission were synonymous. And if they were synonymous, then love and submission were mutual in marriage. Marriage is a prominent relationship where we practice life with God and with others. When I counsel couples who are getting married, we work through this passage together in this way. We talk about what it means to have God as the foundation of their marriage, seeking God's will. What mutual love and what mutual submission looks like in their relationship and what it could look like in their relationship. Marriage is a, is a lifelong call to love and serve and respect and honor one another to come under each other. And in, that, in, and in the day-to-day of marriage is where this idea is practiced. In my marriage, Jamie and I, we practice mutual love and submission all the time. Now, this is something that takes a lot of practice. <laughs> I mean, in the early years of a marriage, I, of our marriage, I had a hard time with mutual submission. I, I even tried to influence the idea of wives submitting to their husbands in our marriage once. <clears throat> <laughs> but over the years, we've worked out where each of us leads and the other of us submits. In some ways, we are more traditional. Jamie takes the lead on things like cooking and keeping the home in order and cleaning. And we have established roles such as whoever cooks, the other cleans up dinner. And if we both cook, if, I, if I'm grilling, 
Then, then we split the, the cleaning, the dishes, the cleanup. And because of her expertise in her career in education, she takes the lead in things like parent-teacher conferences. It's amazing watching her take, you know, interact with, um, with teachers and negotiating some of the things that our kids need in order to thrive in, in their education. Likewise, Jamie does not like yard work. So that's been delegated to me. And I've opted to submit and take that on that responsibility by hiring a landscaper. <laughs> In raising our kids, there were seasons where each of us would come under each other's leadership. Jamie was in the lead when the kids were younger, birth to age 10. I was more in the lead seat in the teen years. When things come up, we don't make decisions without the other. We consult one another. We support one another. Are we perfect? Not even close. <laughs> Is our relationship some marriage utopia? Don't I wish. <laughs> Do we argue? Yes. Is marriage hard? Every single day. But is it mutual? Yes. Do we love? Do we submit? Have we grown? More so than without one another. We practice mutual love and submission in our marriage. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention there are some honorable theologians and pastors who would not conclude this interpretation of Scripture. They have concluded that women are to submit and men are the established authority as the head, but they are to carry out that authority in love. Now, I'm not here today to, seeking to dismiss other well-thought interpretations of this passage. And I don't want to vilify those who interpret this text differently. This is what we would call a disputable matter in the church, where we agree to disagree, we submit to one another in love, and we teach and practice our interpretation in our respective contexts. But I will say this. If the interpretation leads to abuse of power or abusing a spouse, either physically, emotionally, or spiritually, that is not what, this, what was intended or instructed in this passage. If you're in that situation, if that is the case, I would encourage wives and support to get wives and husbands to get some help. There is hope. So we talked about seeking to understand God's will. We talked about practicing mutual love and submission in marriage. The final thing we can take away from this passage is that we need to build our marriage as a witness for others to see. Paul was writing in a context that was highly patriarchal, where the systems were controlled by men. Women were viewed as inferior and had little freedom. Married women often lived in a different part of the house, ate meals separately. They were often kept out of the public eye. The general rule was men were not to talk to women. In the Juda Judaism custom, women were not counted as part of the quorum needed for a synagogue. But the gospel raised the value of women. 
This began with Jesus who freely talked with women. He healed women physically and spiritually. He empowered women in ministry. Remember the woman at the well? She brought the entire village to meet Jesus. John's gospel tells us that it was Mary who saw Jesus' tomb was empty first. And Jesus appeared to her first in his resurrection appearances. The Apostle Paul raised the value of women by empowering women to be part of his leadership team. He preached unity and the equality of men and women. The value of women in the kingdom was raised immediately. And slowly and carefully, the value of women was raised in ancient Israel. The latter part of this text where Paul compares imagery of Jesus and the church to husbands in marriage, in many ways is evangelistic. Sacrificial love and service was a kingdom value. You can imagine how over time, Christian marriages were a testimony for others. As the gospel spread, as Christianity spread, marriages represented mutual love and submission, and that changed the world. Think about the lyrics in the song that Uli sang a few moments ago. Let your love be like a message, telling words of Jesus Christ. Let it reach out to the people, searching for the aim of life. Let your love be like a message, a message to the world. Let your love be like a mirror, like an image of the love that our mighty God has offered as a present to the world. Let your life be like a mirror, a mirror to the world. Like the church, marriage reflects the beauty of life with God and with others in the world. When we are loving and we're submitting to each other, that is attractive. People will notice Whether you believe it or not, your marriage is a testimony for the world to see. People are watching, whether you know it or not. Your kids are watching. Your friends are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your coworkers are watching. What do they see? Do they see something attractive? Does your marriage reveal a reflection of what marriage can be? Or is it reflecting the confirmation of what others have concluded about marriage? Feeling limiting, dominating, or dysfunctional, or archaic. Friends, be intentional about your marriage. Build it as a witness for others to see. Here's the big idea for this morning. Love and and submission are mutual and synonymous in all relationships as a witness for Christ for the world to see. Whether we are single, whether we're married, whether we're divorced or we're widowed, whether we're a young person, whether we're just starting out in marriage or we've we've been in a marriage for 50 years, We can all take something away from this message today. The two common places where life with God and with others and life with others is practiced in the church 
and in marriage. So love one another. Submit to one another. The world is watching. Love and submission are mutual and synonymous in all relationships as a witness for Christ for the world to see. Let's pray. God, we thank you first for your love for us. And as we continue to learn to come under that love and under that guidance and under that leading, would you continue to teach us to strengthen us first in the church? Would we continue to learn to submit to one another in love out of reverence for you? And would we love and submit to our spouses, to our wives, to our husband. And as we do that, would we reflect your image, your hope for the world? We ask this in your son's name. Amen.